Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. It's good to see you all in worship this morning. I Hopefully you're having a great Advent season. Advent is the time where we celebrate Christ coming to us, not just how he came 2,000 years ago, but how by his spirit comes to us every day. And then we wait for him to come in glory at the end of all things. Last week, we looked at the gifts of Advent. We looked at the gift of hope. And what we're hoping to do over the next few weeks is say, what's in it for us? What, what gifts does Christ offer for us to inspire us, to nurture us, to grow? And today we're going to look at the gift of peace. We live in a violent and chaotic world. We know how much peace we need. So let us look at Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, as he looks to the coming Messiah, predicting how the Messiah will bring us peace. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher. We do acknowledge that the world is full of chaos and violence. So we ask God that we might receive your gift of peace. And not that we just keep it for ourselves, that we might share it with others. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. No one can hold a grudge like an 18-year-old frat boy. I was a member of the Delta Upsilon fraternity at the University of Washington. And we called ourselves DUs. Our house sat on 19th Street in the U District in Seattle. And right across the street was the Lambda Chi House. We hated these guys. And they hated us. They represented everything that is wrong with the world. They were arrogant, entitled, unchivalrous, and they played the Grateful Dead at ungodly volumes late into the night. And we dehumanized these lambda chi's by calling them lamb chops. They responded in kind by coming up with a slogan, okay, Delta, oops, I joined the wrong fraternity. There was a story, maybe apocryphal, that back in the day, some of their members had broken into our house and stolen a composite picture that had pictures of all of our founding members. We actually, I guess, then broke into their house and stole one of theirs. Things escalated. Eventually, both houses flooded into the street. All the brothers out there, luckily before a punch was thrown, the police were called and they were able to break things up. 
But let me tell you, for years, animosity simmered underneath. Oh, we hated the lamb chops. Isn't this how the world is often split up between lamb chops and delta oopses? I mean, it's true, like in politics, in sports, in business, in our families, and even in the church. The world is full of conflict. It was true for Isaiah, for the Israelite people, it's true for the early church, and it's true for us. And our text represents Isaiah casting this great dream that one day the Messiah is going to come and he will be a man of peace. Then the lion will lay down with the lamb. People will beat their swords into plowshares. One day when he comes, he will show us. I don't know how, but he will show us how to live peacefully with one another. He will offer us the gift of peace. But it is so hard to be at peace with one another, isn't it? It's so hard, even with those we have so much in common with. It can even be hard, especially for religious people. I was walking across a bridge the other day. There was a man standing on the edge and he was about to jump. So I ran over to him and I said, don't jump, don't do it. And he said, why not? And I said, there's so much to live for. And he said, yeah, like what? And I said, well, are you religious or atheist? He said, religious. I said, me too. Are you Christian or Buddhist? He said, Christian. I said, wow, me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? He said, Protestant. I said, wow, me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? He said, Baptist. I said, wow, me too. Are you original Baptist or reformed Baptist? He said, reformed Baptist. I said, wow, me too. Are you reformed Baptist, Reformation 1879, or reformed Baptist, <laughs> Reformation 1915? He says, Reformation 1915, die, heretic scum, and I pushed him off. <laughs> that joke is a joke by the comedian Emo Phillips. It was voted the number one religious joke of all time. It expresses a reality that we know all too well. We like to push people out, and people like to push us out. The world is full of clashes and conflicts and, and chaos. Yet Advent brings a message of peace. In Christ, we are called to be at peace with one another and to work for peace in the world. Christ wants to offer us the gift of peace. Why is it so hard to be at peace with one another? I think we see in our lives and in the world what we might call spiritual entropy, that things tend to go from order to disorder. It's just kind of how the way the world works in terms of geopolitics. Currently, there are 10 official wars and eight active military conflicts recognized by the United States. There are also violent conflicts involving 64 countries and 576 militias and separatist groups in the world. That's in, in terms of geopolitics, in terms of religion. Just in the Reformed side of the faith, it's hard for us to get along. We continue to divide. In the United States alone, we have PCA, OPC, EPC, RCA, RCC, ECO, IPC. I could go on. It's like they're playing church boggle. Well, how do we 
find peace in the midst of so much diversity and difference? One of the answers that we get is that we should tolerate one another. We're called to tolerate with one another. I want to give you a little history on the concept of tolerance. In 1689, John Locke published his monumental text, A Letter Concerning Toleration. He wrote in response to the wars of religion, especially the Thirty Years' War. It was the most bloody and violent conflict all the way up until World War II. The interesting thing was the people who were killing and torturing each other were all Christians. They were Catholics and Protestants of various stripes. And so it's to this violent and chaotic context that Locke writes his great letter. Listen to this. He says, I appeal to the consciences of those who persecute, wound, torture, and kill other men on the excuse of religion, whether they do this in a spirit of friendship and kindness. It will be very difficult to persuade men of sense that he who with dry eyes and satisfaction of mind can deliver his brother to the executioner to be burnt alive does sincerely and heartily concern himself to save that brother from the flames of hell in the world to come. Saying, I'm torturing you for your own benefit is not a way to win friends and influence people. Every seminary student has to read this text. What's the problem? A lot of us come to think then that all we're called to is to tolerate one another. But we've got to remember we don't follow John Locke, we follow Jesus Christ. And the Christian life is more than tolerance. We are called to more than tolerate one another. It's that we love each other. Jesus comes to offer us the gift of peace. Peace takes work though. Notice what Isaiah says. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. We have to destroy the instruments of war and use our resources for peace. We need to turn our bombs into books, our machine guns into sewing machines. We need to forget war and learn peace. It's interesting that we just hired a new business administrator. In her previous job, she was working at the University of Notre Dame. And she was the lead administrator for the, uh, the Kroc Institute for International Peace Studies. They recognized that peace takes work. It doesn't happen by accident. We've got to work for peace, work to be peaceful with one another. I love the quote from Nelson Mandela who was so important in breaking down apartheid in South Africa and working for peace. He says this, no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart then it's opposite. We have to learn peace. We have to learn to love. The forces of chaos and violence are out in the world. Entropy sets in, going from order to disorder. So we need to work for peace in the world. We have to do this in our world, in our country, in our city, in our families, in our church, to work for peace. So how do we do it? How do we, how do we work for this peace? How can we strive for more than tolerance? Well, if you go to your New Testament and you look at the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, you'll find there this advice. He says this, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Paul says the gospel calls us to more than tolerance. It calls us to forbearance to bear with one another, to carry each other's burdens. See, tolerance is where you kind of hold your nose around those who stink. But forbearance is where you help carry someone's load that stinks. We're here to bear with one another. Did you catch why we're called to forbearance? Why we're called to bear with one another? Bear with one another, Paul says, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, because because God has forgiven you, so you must forgive one another. I mean, this is basically the message of the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament, God is constantly and continually bearing the burdens of his people. They turn and go their own way, he bears with them. They become unfaithful, he stays faithful. He bears with them. In the New Testament, what does Jesus do? He bears with the burdens of his disciples. He bears the burdens of his enemies. And then he bears the burdens of the world on the cross. Did you know that a recent Pew study said that 75% of Americans believe that the Bible contains the line, God helps those who help themselves? I'd say that's the exact opposite message of Scripture. God helps us when we can't help ourselves. He bears with us. God bears with us, and so we ought to bear with one another. I want to conclude with two illustrations of this, one from the 4th century and one much more contemporary. In the 4th century, there was a movement, an event called the Donatist Controversy. Emperor Diocletian had persecuted the church violently. It was horrible. And many pastors and priests and church members gave up the faith. They were seen as betraying the gospel. Often, many of them gave up their holy sacred scriptures, which were extremely rare, and they were destroyed by the powers that be. And then in 312, what was called the Edict of Milan, there became a time for religious freedom. And so a lot of these people who were traitors and who had betrayed the church wanted to come back to the church. They wanted to rejoin the church. Some of the pastors wanted to start serving the church again. And so the question became, should we let them back in? The Donatists said, no, absolutely not. But on the other side was a man named, a bishop named Augustine. And Augustine said, yes, why? He said, each of us is not here because of our own moral virtue. We are only here because of the gracious Love that we receive in our, from our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that transforms our relationships. We're only here because Christ is gracious and welcomes us in. He writes this. The person you cannot put right is still yours. He is a part of you, either as a fellow human being or very often as a member of your church. He is inside with you. What are you going to do? Therefore, brother... Among these shocking conditions, there is only one remedy. Do not think ill of your brother or your sister. Strive humbly to be what you would have them be, and you will not think that they are what you are not. Notice that. Strive humbly to be what you would have them be, 
and you will not think that they are what you are not. You must see yourself as a part of the same human family, as the same church, united in Jesus Christ. You're all on the same team. Things change when you see you're on the same team together. You begin to bear each other's burdens. A number of years ago, I was in New York City. I was in the Lower East Side um, during the NCAA tournament. So me and a couple of friends from college wanted to go watch the game. So we went to the sports bar to watch the University of Washington Huskies take on the University of Connecticut. We were severe underdogs and the restaurant was packed with UConn fans. And UConn fans are annoying. Talking trash with every basket. It was getting rough in there. Towards the middle of the second half, two guys come into the restaurant. And they come over and they stand beside us. And they're cheering for the University of Washington. And so I turned to one of the guys and I said, hey, where are you guys from? They said, Washington State. I said, me too. So where did you go to school? They said, the University of Washington. I said, me too. When did you graduate? 2001. Me too. What was your major? Business. Me too. Were you guys in a fraternity? <laughs> Lamb chops. In that moment, were we going to let ourselves be defined by the tribal differences? Or were we going to find our unity in this bigger identity that we were fans of the University of Washington? Or were we going to be driven away by tribal differences? We're going to bear with one another. That is the identity we find in Jesus Christ, to bear with one another because Christ has bared with us. That's where we find our identity. We are a church united in Jesus Christ to bear with one another. And when we do, we find the gift of peace, which is one of the gifts this Advent. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you bear with us. We pray that we might put that reality at the center of our lives, that it might be at the center of our relationships, that we might learn to bear with one another. Lord, so that we, this church and our world, might receive the gift of peace this Advent. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.